Hello and welcome to Got Your Six. This is Brian O'Leary. And just as a quick intro, this audio is from an essay that I originally published the Substack on September 11th, 2023. My father retired from the NYPD in 1988 after serving as a police officer for 20 years. Much of that time was spent in the 7-1 precinct in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, which at the time was one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country. Dad was also a longtime member of the New York's finest football team, playing on both the offensive and defensive lines. The team played against a variety of opponents, including other police departments, the New York City Corrections and Sanitation Departments, and a bunch of semi-pro teams. But of course, their main rival was New York's bravest, the hated squad fielded by the Fire Department of New York City. Each year, the NYPD and FDNY would face off in the Fun City Bowl, which was such a big deal that it drew audiences sizable enough that the game was held in locations like Shea Stadium, which was then the home of the New York Mets, and today it takes place at MetLife Stadium, where the Giants embarrassed themselves last night. The annual feud has gone on since the early 70s and has often featured brawls between cops and firefighters, both on the field and in the parking lots. Actually, believe it or not, the yearly hockey game is actually much worse, and the stupidity frequently involves spectators as well. And while my dad was never involved in any such fisticuffs, that didn't mean that he didn't, didn't harbor a serious degree of animus toward the men that he often referred to as, quote, empty rubber suits. To be fair, though, a lot of his close friends were firemen, and I'm sure they employed a similarly offensive epithet for the cops. So, you know, dad was just being a dude. But then, one day when I was in high school, my father received a new pair of black uniform boots. That was something new at the time, as cops had traditionally worn just standard leather shoes. His new arrivals were essentially leather combat boots, with rugged, treaded soles, and I remember him being inordinately excited about his newly acquired footwear. He laced them up and strode through the house, proclaiming that, These are the greatest things I've ever had on my feet. Well, about two weeks later, he and his partner were riding their patrol car during a 4-12 to shift when they happened upon a fire in a brownstone building near Empire Boulevard. They were the first ones on the scene, so even after calling the fire into dispatch, they couldn't simply wait for the fire trucks to arrive. Instead, they went in. I remember him later vividly describing the whole thing to me and me thinking, wow, I never thought about that. What I'd never thought about was the fact that as the two underdressed cops traveled through the hallways of the building, paint was melting off the ceiling and landing on the shoulders and backs of their uniform blouses, searing through the fabric and inflicting third-degree burns on the both of them. Additionally, they both inhaled a hell of a lot of smoke. Fortunately, they were able to brave the conditions long enough to rescue several residents from the building, and as they escorted them out the front door the FDNY had already begun to arrive. It was about that time that my dad realized that the soles of his sweet new combat boots had melted through to his socks. He and his partner both spent a night or two in Kings County Hospital for smoke inhalation and to treat what I remember being some really serious burns. After being discharged, my dad was placed on convalescent leave so he was home for about the next two weeks. For at least the first few days, 
He was still in a mild state of shock. And during that period, if you asked him something as simple as, hey, dad, how are you feeling? About the most you can get out of him was, they can keep that fucking job. And he said it more than a couple of times that week. Last night, I had been watching the Eagles-Patriots game on CBS. And since I had some time before the Giants came on, I just stayed on the same channel to watch 60 Minutes. Not knowing that the entire show was going to be devoted to the heroic actions performed by New York's Bravest on September 11, 2001. If you haven't watched it already, make sure you do. The truth of the matter is that while I certainly haven't forgotten that day, it has, as a matter of course, become a more distant memory each year. I'm a bit shamed to admit that. Maybe it's due to the fact that, thankfully, I didn't lose anyone particularly close to me in the attacks. However, that day did significantly alter the course of my life, as my Marine Corps Reserve Unit was quickly mobilized, and we spent the next 18 months on active duty, including a tour in Iraq. I would later observe the 10-year anniversary of 9-11 in the Helmand province of Afghanistan. One member of our battalion who didn't make the trip to Iraq was Corporal Sean Talon. That was unfortunately due to the fact that Sean was also a New York City firefighter, assigned to Ten House, home of Ladder 10 and Engine 10, right across the street from the South Tower of the World Trade Center. Corporal Talon was a member of Weapons Company, 2nd Battalion, 25th Marines in Garden City, and was as beloved as any Marine in the unit. He came from a very Irish, very Catholic family, and had just returned from a trip to Ireland in August. He'd served as an EMT in his Bronx neighborhood before attending the fire academy, and had earned his BA in criminology from Iona College. On the morning of 9-11, given his house's close proximity, he was among the very first to respond to the scene. Sean, who was still in his probationary period as a member of Ladder 10, was one of two firefighters from that unit who gave their lives that day. Engine 10 lost another three. On July 4th of the following year, U.S. Pacific Command christened a newly established compound in East Timor as Camp Talon. And when the temporary outpost was shut down, the Marines who had been assigned there shipped the facility's sign to Ladder 10 in New York. Today it remains displayed on the back wall of the house, which I have visited recently. Marine Gunnery Sergeant Matthew Garvey served on active duty for 10 years, including a tour in Beirut and a deployment in support of Operation Desert Storm. As a Marine, he was one of just a handful to earn the designation of Dual Cool, meaning that he was both parachute and scuba qualified. Garvey entered the NDNY Academy in 1995 while continuing his service as a Marine Reservist assigned to 6th Communications Battalion in Brooklyn. He was considered a Marine's Marine, a guy who always looked after his men. At 6th Com, he was playfully referred to as Gunny Highway, due to how much his demeanor resembled that of Clint Eastwood's character in the film Heartbreak Ridge. Gunny Garvey studied Kung Fu, played guitar, enjoyed photography, and had climbed to the summit of Mount Rainier. In September 2001, he was a member of the Elite Squad 1, one of FDNY's eight special operations units based in Park Slope, Brooklyn. His nightstand in the firehouse featured books such as Don Quixote, War and Peace, The Iliad, and Moby Dick. He'd also recently be, been accepted into law school. 
On the morning of the 11th, after receiving the call to respond to the Trade Center, Matt and the rest of the squad who were on duty mounted their trucks and sped up Hamilton Avenue and through the Battery Tunnel. The squad would wind up being one of the most devastated units that day, losing 12 men, fully half of its firefighters, among them Matt. Like Sean Talon, he would be missed not only by his fellow FDNY members, but by his fellow Marines as well. At St. Agnes High School, I had this really great English teacher named Russ Siller, whose younger brother Stephen was a year ahead of me at our school. They and their five siblings had tragically lost both parents within a year of each other and before Stephen had turned 10. So Stephen was raised by his older sisters and brothers, primarily Russ. Stephen was one of Matt Garvey's housemates at Squad One and on the morning of 9-11 had just finished an overnight shift and was heading out to Long Island to play a round of golf with his brothers. However, just after 8.46 a.m., before he'd gotten too far east, the scanner in his truck alerted him to the first plane having struck the North Tower. Rather than continue on his way and leave the matter in the hands of Garvey and the guys on duty at the time, Stephen turned around and headed back toward the city. As he drove west, he called his wife Sally and asked her to call his brothers, simply to tell him that he'd catch up with them later. By the time Stephen arrived back at the Battery Tunnel, it had been closed to vehicular traffic. Again, instead of just throwing up his hands, which he certainly could have been excused for, he reached into the bed of his pickup truck and retrieved his bunker gear, which he quickly donned and then began his now legendary run through the longest underwater tunnel in North America. Like Sean Talon, Matt Garvey, and 341 other members of the FDNY, Stephen was last seen defying all manner of logic by voluntarily and valorously entering a building from which he would never emerge. What these men and their brothers have in common is an attribute that eludes most of us. I've never been uncomfortable with the notion of running to the sound of the guns, but what these guys and their brothers do is somehow beyond me. What they did on 9-11 was, as far as I'm concerned, a violation of human instinct. This past weekend, in addition to the 60 Minutes episode, I also saw an interview with Steven Siller's brother, Frank. In it, he described the conversations the firefighters had shared with one another before entering the towers. The topics of their exchanges, he pointed out, were not their plans for the weekend or what they'd have for dinner back at the firehouse that evening. Instead, they were saying goodbye to each other because they had every reason to believe that the conversation they were having might be their last. In fact, many of them fully expected it to be. In any case, they then just shook hands, fist-bumped or hugged, and started climbing the stairs. Unfortunately, you know the rest of the story. In a 1981 ceremony where he presented the Medal of Honor to U.S. Army Master Sergeant Roy Benavidez, President Reagan mused aloud, Where do we find such men? I find myself asking the same question when I contemplate the notion of a fellow human being willingly entering a burning building. And yeah, that includes my dad. I'm grateful that I stumbled upon 60 Minutes last night. Maybe I needed to be reminded. Not of the event, of course, 
but of the unfathomable degree of selfless and resolute sacrifice demonstrated by New York's bravest that day. I'm in awe of it. And I hate to admit it, but they can keep that fucking job. God bless them all for what they do. God bless the 9-11 families. And may God continue to bless the United States of America. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.